Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great podcast. Brian Winhurst and the Hoop Collective is a podcast where Brian Winhurst and a team of ESPN insiders sort out life in and around the NBA world. Now three times a week and also available on YouTube. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, I'm going to look at the Brooklyn Nets and wonder why in the world are you still doing this? Also, we have got your voicemails on the game cheating. But first... All right, man. This was uh, a pretty weird uh, Sunday of NFL football. And I'm going to be honest with you. I only watched two and a half of the games. So all the other games might have been perfectly normal. But at least the two that I watched in their totality, they were strange, folks. Strange. So start today with Minnesota playing against Buffalo, which I have to say, that's a pretty big game that didn't really feel like that big of a game going into it. Like, the, the, the largesse that we had in dealing with that game really came around the question of whether or not Josh Allen was going to play because uh, his Tommy John was acting up on him, right? Not the underwear, the elbow. Like, that was, that was the thing that, that he was dealing with. But I really stopped and thought about it, and it's the team that most people believe to be the best in the NFL against a team that's only got one loss and I don't think we really got ourselves like into that place and the answer that we didn't really get ourselves into that place is pretty simple because Kirk Cousins played for the Vikings like that's it I- I've seen the advanced numbers on the Vikings that indicate that there have been very few teams that have a record this good this late in the season that are as not good as the Vikings appear to be in those statistics. They got one of them cardiac kid things going right now where they win a whole bunch of games late, not even necessarily against good teams, so it's kind of heartwarming, but it raises legitimate skepticism about how good they actually are. And so they go up, and they play in the Buffalo Bills. And, I mean, it wasn't looking good early, folks. It really, really wasn't, okay? But then... Everything got weird. I was talking to my man Howard um, over the weekend, and we were texting during the game, talking about Kirk Cousins and Josh Allen. And I want to say Buffalo was up, what, by 10 points? And they were going in to score? And then Josh Allen threw um, an interception in in the end zone. And so Howard's jetted out after that. I watch the rest of the game, and after the game, I get a call from Howard, and not even long after the game, just after the game, I get a call from Howard, and Howard asks, what happened? All right, this is already after another one of my buddies has sent me a text about the Stefan Diggs catch, and then I send him a text later about the Jefferson catch, and he's like, yeah, I wasn't even watching. I'm like, oh, you're going to come back and see maybe one of the 10 greatest catches that you've ever seen in your life, right? Like, this is crazy, and I don't even really have time to talk about the Stephon Diggs catch. So, Vikings go down and score a touchdown. Time to bring it to a three-point. Oh, no! Missed the extra point. Now, it's a four-point game. And we come back the other way. Buffalo three and outs. Minnesota gets the ball, takes it 
all the way down there. Has a free play that'll be an easy touchdown for Dalvin Cook on fourth down or third down. I can't remember. I just know he didn't catch it. And then they tried again, and they tried a quarterback sneak, and Kirk Cousins couldn't get the quarterback sneak. And I ain't never seen this happen before in my life, at least not on a professional level. Buffalo fumbled the snap, and Minnesota recovers it in the end zone, but can only get a three-point lead because they missed the other joint, right? They missed the extra point. And then Josh Allen comes back and looks like good Josh Allen and just marches them down the field on some high school right? I am the best player out here. I'll just do whatever, and we'll get this straight. And then they kick the field goal, and then Minnesota takes it down. They don't. I, I just can't describe everything for you. You'll have to look up the sum total of it. What I find interesting about it is, normally when you have this back and forth in all of these marches, you think about this as being quarterback versus quarterback. What a duel of the quarterbacks. And that is not what happened here at all. That is not the conclusion that anybody came away with. Kirk Cousins kept coming up short. Josh Allen kept coming up short, but somebody had to win, right? This was a great testament to our general tendency to try to make too much about quarterbacks, and we just couldn't do it this time as much as we wanted to. The only way we wound up making this about the quarterback is the fact that Josh Allen didn't really play well, right? Now, I don't know how much of that is the elbow. I don't, you know, football's weird. I don't know how much we're supposed to take in, into account those sorts of things. So I don't know what exactly happened. But what I do know happened was he turned the ball over, I want to say three times in the fourth quarter in overtime. All right. Josh Allen been trying to get a ball away all year long. If you have been watching, and while everybody has been making him the MVP this year and the odds on favor for the MVP and everything else, right? I've been telling you for years that so much of this is agenda-driven. Okay, that's not to say that Josh Allen isn't really, really, really good. Like I've come around to the point now where now that he's actually like getting things done, I can go beyond the wow, he looks really talented to really put his talent into perspective and physically talented quarterbacks, Cam Newton and John Elway, who else you got that's in the same ballpark as Josh Allen? Like who else do you have? There's nobody there. He's that guy physically. And then the performance started to get there. But he's always been good to like make you bang your head against the wall. Just make some weird decisions at some odd times. Um, Because the thing about his game is, while he's gotten a lot better at the mental aspect, he is similar to Cam Newton to me in the sense that you're not going to run quick game with them dudes. Right? Like, they're not going to be the Omaha, Omaha guys and the Tom Brady's and manipulate everything and just know exactly where this thing is going to go or whatever it is. What helped both of those guys is that they were so big that it allowed them to buy time for something to happen or to make those throws where you didn't necessarily have to do it before the guy was open. Now, Cam had to do it before guys were open because, honestly, they weren't open. Like, the expectation of the offense was that he was going to throw those guys open. Josh Allen isn't the guy that really has to do that, right? But if you've been watching, he'll put the ball in the DB's hands. They just hadn't been catching him. And that is the sort of thing that becomes part of like just the, the statistical distribution, right? There's going to be a regression to the mean about that. You keep giving defenses chances to get the ball. They're going to get it at some point. And so the last couple of weeks, you've seen this run of him doing this. But right before I came in here, I was watching Get Up, 
And Rex Ryan threw out a stat that Josh Allen has six red zone turnovers in the last two years. Okay. I'll be honest with you. I haven't bothered to check that against anybody else, so I don't know how, how exactly how bad that is. But I tell you this. When people out of nowhere start throwing out stats from the last two years, that tells you they've been ignoring something that had been happening for the previous year and a half for whatever reason it was. And it's because people really want Josh Allen to be that guy. Like, thank goodness he's actually ascended to be in a place where it lines up. But people really want it. But at the expense of acknowledging the shortcomings of his game are there and the potential for him to make mistakes are there. So this, what's happened in the last couple of weeks, to me, this isn't a referendum, right? Like, it's not like, oh, man, we need to go back on what we were saying about Josh Allen. Maybe you do, right? I was over here trying to hold it in the road. You know what I'm saying? When he was out here playing bad, I said that he played bad, and you acted like I was a hater when I was actually just discussing what it was that I was seeing. Now, you having to go a little bit too far in some of your cases because you didn't realize this has just been what it's been. He's probably going to play lights out next week, but with a throw, maybe two, that the other team has a chance to get, right? It just so happens that he does a zillion other things that might take you over the top. But that's what we had there, right? Now to the Vikings. Vikings fans, I feel bad for you. I really do. This is why. I feel bad for you. Because people can't just be satisfied that their team is good. They need everybody else to say that their team is good. And I understand that when you root for a college team, because what people think about your team has an actual effect on the outcome of their season. Being good is not enough. People need to think that you are good. But this is the NFL. The only thing that matters is the numbers of wins, losses, and the occasional tie. It doesn't matter if the rest of us think that your team is good. But especially those of y'all that are from places that most people don't want to live in, you really want the respect from the rest of us. And you just beat Buffalo. And I got bad news for you. That respect ain't coming. You just need to come to terms with that. If I want to get technical about it, congratulations on defeating the third place team in the AFC East. That's how I could put it if I wanted to do that, right? And then you'd be like, oh, okay, maybe I see what you're saying. But no, 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 no. You want that respect. I feel you, right? Let it, let, it, let it fuel you. You know what I'm saying? Let your haters be your motivators, whatever it happens to be. But you know why your team ain't going to get no respect. It's the same reason that you don't actually think that your team is going to win a Super Bowl. Okay? It's the quarterback, man. We're never going to be able to do it as long as that's your quarterback. I don't care how many chains they put on him. Hey, I want to send a big old middle finger to whoever it was that told the play-by-play man in that game to start calling Kirk Cousins Kirk Thuggins. Yeah, Kirk Thuggins. Yeah, 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 yeah. He said that over and over again. 
because of that picture with the chain. And all I'm saying is, it's cute when y'all do it. Call one of our dudes thugging. You think he's an actual thug. You know what I'm saying? It's just always funny when it go on the other side. Like, I remember when Duke, their football team decided to make their hashtag Duke gang. They was calling them, oh, y'all a gang now. Y'all cripping now. Y'all cripping now. Whole point of your basketball thing was everybody else got a damn gang, but y'all was over here wearing blazers. Now y'all out here with your fingers all crooked. It's funny when y'all do it. Okay. Anyway, we had another strange overtime game that I'll talk about briefly, and that was the Packers and the Cowboys. Watch that game, and hey, it was a silly thought that somebody would believe that the Cowboys should keep playing Cooper Rush when Dak Prescott got healthy. It was a silly thought, okay? And it would be a silly thought if anybody thought they needed to go back to Cooper Rush over Dak Prescott, all right? However, it would really help the Cowboys if Dak Prescott would play better than Cooper Rush. Like, I feel like that would go a long way to achieving their ultimate goal because he was out there looking like cheeks, stanky, hairy cheeks in that game uh, against the Packers. A game, by the way, in which the Packers decided for much of the game, we ain't really going to throw the ball. Like, they just took, they were like, we're going to run. And that was a smart play, man. If your line isn't that good and your quarterback hadn't been that good, batter them especially when Aaron Jones played for Beaumont's fantasy team. Yeah, you go ahead and do that. And they put 200 yards on the ground on them, and it made life, it appeared, a whole lot easier for Aaron Rodgers. Like, good for them. Nobody actually thinks they're good, but hey, glad you guys could get something that you could, you know, talk about at the end of the year. Y'all need to feel good, right? Aaron Rodgers need to be a little happier when he's hanging out with Pat McAfee. I personally can't imagine what it must be like if you're in a bad mood and then you go talk to McAfee. He seems like he's relentlessly positive, and those things, that could be annoying. You know what I'm saying? When you ain't really in the mood for it and you feel like your, your co-workers is bums. Like, I can see how that would not necessarily be a thing. But with Prescott, hey, man, it wasn't there. Like, they got better as the game went on, but it wasn't there, and they lost that game because of him. Like, for me, that's the number one thing. Yeah, they blew a two-touchdown lead in the fourth quarter, but part of being that guy that you're supposed to be is, all right, we're just going to make sure they don't get the ball again. And they didn't do that. I don't think that fourth down call in overtime is worth any discussion, to be perfectly honest. They were stuck in a situation where there was not a, there was not a good option. Either go for fourth and four, punt it from there, or kick it 53 yards in the cold, on the road, off grass. Like, nothing, no matter what call was made, if it didn't work, there was going to be a measure of skepticism. And from the looks of it, no matter what, the Cowboys defense wasn't going to stop. Like, no matter how it spun. I got no knock on them for that part. I look right at the quarterback, and I'm like, hey, man, this one was on you. I don't think there's any other way to look at it. I don't think that there's any other way to see it. This one was on you. Now, I want to close this little NFL run with, I saw, you know, the Chargers were playing the 49ers last night. Not going to lie. I went to sleep on that. Wake up. 49ers at one. Congratulations. Some dude jumped in my mentions and said good morning with a, a gif of Jimmy Garoppolo. And I really got to ask this question about a lot of y'all. Do y'all really wake up thinking about me? Like, is that is that really how it goes? I had to do the day before because Auburn won a game over six lost Texas A&M. 
And he says something in my mentions about how 90,000 people were there to see two six lost teams, but you're going to tell me that the Auburn job was bad. And I replied to him and I said, did you wake up first thing in the morning thinking of me? And his reply eventually was in short comma, yes. And then he accused me of being mad at him. It was the weirdest thing. The weirdest, weirdest thing that like some of y'all really do wake up in the morning thinking about me. You like the dude in house party, right? Sometimes I be with my woman getting ready to wax that ass and I be thinking about that fool. And everybody looks around and is like, hey, man, that's strange. That's weird. Um, anyway, we ain't gonna have no week to week referenda on Jimmy Garoppolo. Just, just so everybody knows like that, that's not going to happen. You know what he is. Come on, man. Every now and then they gonna win a game with that dude. There is no team that I am less sure of what to think of than the 49ers in terms of how good they are in some total while fully understanding you can't win with that guy, right? You can't win with that guy. And I tell you how far I'll go to say you can't win with that guy. You ready? They'd be better off with Kirk Cousins. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. And spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, guys. Um, how many episodes have I had to talk about Kyrie Irving? How many? I've lost count myself, but it definitely would qualify as several. Dan, what's it been? Like three weeks? Yeah, I was going to say double-digit episode, so yeah, at least three weeks. Yo, okay. So, I said early that the Nets should waive him. People misunderstood where I was coming from, but my point was they should waive him because they are ultimately going to waive him. So go ahead and skip the steps in between and just get to it. Okay, that was my point. Here we are now, and the Nets gave Kyrie 
this whole list of demands that he has to do in order to come back. And you got the owner of the Nets, who I swear I'd never heard talk about nothing before this whole thing came up, talking about how Kyrie's got more work to do before he can come back and everything else. And it seems abundantly clear that they try to make this man beg to come back. They making him bow down in order to come back. And as I said early, I understand why they might feel compelled to do such a thing. It doesn't make it any less uncomfortable to watch, but I can't really judge them but so much for it because he had been so strident before that thinking you just going to coax him into coming to the middle feels unlikely, right? However, and I am a person who doesn't really like leaning on what is a bit of a trope in our industry, which is trying to compare what happens in our world with uh, romantic relationships, right? Because everybody does the relationship different. And every now and then somebody expresses these things in a way that actually demonstrates dysfunction in their own lives. And that's not how I'd like to expose myself to you guys. Okay. But. I would think. If you were in a relationship with someone and to note the Nets and Kyrie are in fact in a relationship. Okay. That is an undeniable fact. If you are in a relationship with someone and they have erred in such a way that the only way that you will come back into that relationship is if that person begs and grovels, guys, the relationship is over. (laughs) Like, if that's what it's going to take, right? Not even simply an honest accounting of your mistakes and a willingness to take responsibility for them. No, the Nets, it feels like they want the dude to beg, right? Never mind the fact that no one involved actually believes that Kyrie Irving is an anti-Semite. No one does. None of us think that he actually watched the movie. We all just think he's a like that's it. That that's that's where we are when it comes to him. Just not being willing to step back and give some ground in this situation is why we're here. And the net solution to that is to effectively try to corner him. All right. Now, I saw him put something up on Twitter. One of his I love everybody things, we all children of God type stuff. He got to talk about Yahweh, if I'm not mistaken. You know what I'm saying? Like, he went and he went and did, like, all the Kyrie things that say nothing and everything all at one, one time. But nothing in that indicated to me that he's willing to do what the league and the Nets need him to do, which is get in front of some cameras, say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I've learned my lesson, right? That's that's the step. I think that if he can do that, he can probably skip over 
all the meeting with the Anti-Defamation League and going and hollering at the local rabbis or maybe letting the local rabbis holler at him. You know, I don't know exactly how that thing going to go. He might be able to skip that step. But I'm looking at the Nets and I'm looking at Kyrie and I'm looking at the totality of the roster and I'm asking you, what happens after this is done? Like, you think he just going to come back and play basketball, and everything's going to be cool. I've talked about it in the context of the rest of the team, but just about him and the rest of the organization. You think he's going to just come back and play basketball, and everything be cool? Like, you think the next time one of those Kyrie things happens, people ain't going to have a short, like, patience for it? Like, what are you doing? What are all of you doing? And what Josiah is doing at this point is grandstand. All right? Like, that's what he is doing right now. He is grandstanding, Right? And then so many people who are observing this are honestly exposing themselves. And this is how I mean they are exposing themselves. I understand that different issues matter to different people in different ways. And I don't have the expectation that everybody go stand on the soapbox on all the, all the things just because they stand on the soapbox on one of the things. That's just, that's just not it. I, I don't think that's realistic to expect of people. So when play, people are like, yo, well, the players sure talk about, you know, black people and social justice matters with black people, but now they're not, they're not doing the same thing with the Jews. Duh. Okay. You think these people that's all charged up right now about the Jews talk the same way when the police kill a black person? No, no. That's not, you know, like if we did that, the world would be a much better place. But... That's not really how it happens. The people who are most likely to do that are typically the most performative and phony about it for whatever it's worth. Like, that, that's just not how it plays. Um, but one thing I do remember is a lot of people, when the players were getting up about George Floyd, you know, and these other matters, the big one was, what about China? They all in LeBron's face. What about China? All these guys. Everybody had to get out here and learn how to spell Uyghur. Remember that? I think y'all might have forgot how to spell Uyghur by now. But it was all about, hey, man, what's going on with the Uyghurs? Remember that? The Uyghurs, they're the Muslim people in China who are being treated horribly. Okay? Everybody brought that out there. So now Josiah um, is on his horse shooting down anti-Semitism and saying that this is something that will not be tolerated. If you remember how to spell Uyghur, Go Google Josiah and Uyghur and see what you get back. All right? And all I'm wondering is, where y'all at wondering about the Uyghurs again? Is that, is that coming up? Like, I haven't seen, I have not seen very many people who were talking about the Uyghurs when it was the players now talk about the Uyghurs when it's an actual Chinese billionaire. I don't see that. I've not witnessed this, right? And I bring all that up to say, we reach the point in the Kyrie saga that always feels like it happens from my perspective here, right? And my perspective is as a black person that works in this media stuff, right? And it's a very particular thing because I represent things to people, whether they like me or not, okay? You, I think you all understand and recognize this. I mean, I am an avatar for a whole lot of people. I don't say that with any measure of arrogance or flex. It's actually really annoying, but that's what it is. Okay. So thing happens with black person. Black person does something wrong. Well, Pomani, you're going to say they did something wrong? Yeah, sure. Okay. That's all right. But I can leave it at them doing something wrong. And I actually believe if you pay attention to my content, that's the approach I take with everybody, right? I'm really trying to hone in on your behavior and not really get too far into stuff that doesn't matter. Okay. You have done thing wrong. 
But what typically happens after something has been done wrong is the anti-blackness starts creeping into the criticism because it is still a black person that is being criticized. What then happens on the other side is a measure of black pushback that comes that can often be unreasonable, but they smell the anti-blackness that's in the critique that's coming. And we've seen a great deal of that with Kyrie. And then again, that's where you see what I consider to be the inconsistency of everybody demanding that these players say something about Kyrie without making similar demands of owners to say something about Robert Sarver. Somebody on Twitter said to me that their point was, well, the players have had something to say about social issues before, so they should have something to say about social issues now. Oh, okay. So as long as you don't give a damn about anything, you don't have to say anything about anything, even if it directly affects the way that your business is run? Because that's what the thing is with the owners and Sarver, Right? Now you don't have to say anything? Oh, no, that, that, that feels like you're moving the goalposts to me, and the goalposts are moved in a way that typically applies to black people. All of that is to say, you knew when this got started, man, white folks is probably going to go a little bit too far. Probably going to be the case. Just couldn't leave it at this. Had to go too far. Couldn't just leave it at Kyrie. Had to try to bring it up. Well, how do the other players aren't saying anything? Guys, they're a union. Like, there were really people out there like, why is the NBPA not put out a statement about this? Because that's not how unions work. What are you talking about? And, by the way, this is a labor matter now because of the nature and the terms of the suspension. Like, when LeBron got out here and said, they, you know, LeBron did this for everybody. And this is something I don't think he gets credit for. It's the same thing that happened with the China situation when the Lakers were stuck in the hotel, right? LeBron will come out here and take it for everybody sometimes. So when it was time to say that Kyrie says, you know, put out something that was hateful and it was a problem, LeBron James made that statement for every player in the league. And then when it was time to say, hey, this is going too far, LeBron made that statement for every player in the league because he's the guy that could do that. And he deserves all the props in the world for that fact but your expectation that you're going to take a made man in the NBA and everybody in the league is going to criticize him when they know that a significant portion of the criticism is disingenuous you must be out of your mind like that's ridiculous because we have reached a point where this has gone too far and that's why I said they should have just waved them you wouldn't have got here if you just waved them they wouldn't have had to go too far if they had just waved him, he would have got his money and he would have been off a team he doesn't want to play for. So he wouldn't complain. He'd end up going somewhere that he wanted. The Nets would get to look like, you know, big men, even though this just makes sense. It's not a matter of morality. It just made sense. They would have been able to do that. And by the way, if you have noticed the way they have played since Kyrie left, lost to the Lakers notwithstanding, they might be better without him. They might be better without him waving off play calls. And again, we haven't even reached a point of the season where he just starts taking unlimited PTO. We ain't even got to that place. All you had to do was let him go. That was it. And you, look, he put the league in a real bad place, right? Because the thing for Kyrie is he ain't got to take the phone calls from the rabbis. You know what I'm saying? Like, he doesn't have to deal with all that comes with it. He put the league in a bad place. He put the team in a bad place. He did not responsibly handle what he did. All of that being correct, okay? But now it's all for show. The league 
is doing it for I mean, the Nets, really. I don't want to know. Put on the... That's for show. To show that they got him to, you know, show that he's serious about being not being anti-Semitic. And again, I understand why they're doing it. He kind of put them in that position. But when the owner keeps coming out, no, nah, he has more work to do, da-da-da. No, nah, sit down until it's finished, right? We don't need no updates. We don't need nothing along the way. Everybody fall back until it's finished. Because the more you talk in the intervening time period, the less it sounds like it's about anti-Semitism and the more it sounds like it's about ego. Because it's damn sure been about ego for Kyrie and now it's looking like it's about ego for the team, which means it just needs to be over. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. All right, Bo, first story comes from the world of the environment. This is Chloe Taylor at Fortune. The United Nations Secretary General issued an unnerving warning at the COP27 climate conference this week, telling delegates that the world is on a highway to climate hell with our foot still on the accelerator. Antonio Guterres told crowds gathered at the event that the clock is ticking, with the planet fast approaching a tipping point that will make climate change irreversible. He said human activity needed to be the solution to the climate crisis and urged politicians not to put the issue, which he described as the fight of our lives, on the back burner. World leaders are currently gathered in the Egyptian city of Sharm el-Sheikh for COP27, which has been described by organisers as a defining moment in the fight against climate change. The conference opened on Sunday with the key aim of ensuring full implementation of the Paris Agreement, a treaty adopted by 196 parties in 2015 that aims to keep global temperatures from getting any higher than 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. While two degrees is the absolute limit signatories to the Paris Agreement are aiming for, the treaty has a target of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial temperatures. The UN has said, though, that since last year's COP26 conference, only 29 countries have come forward with more stringent national plans on tackling climate change. Recent research by the UN showed that the last eight years have been the warmest on record, while a new report from the Global Carbon Project said this week that CO2 emissions are rising so quickly, there's now a 50% chance the world will breach the 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature limit within nine years. Hey, man, let me just add one question. Like, you obviously heard everything Chloe had to say. Thank God I don't have anything to add. You know, it was a little somber, a little frightening, everything else. When's the last time you read a story about climate change and they were like, ah, but the good news. Like, I can't think of any time that, like, like you know, 
like the Fed or whatever, they'd be like, oh, bad economic news coming. And every now and then they throw you a curveball and be like, no, not so bad. Not so bad. We got some positive indicators that we can look at. Do we have any positive indicators to look at for climate change whatsoever? They be having all these meetings, all these conventions. They write all these articles. Like people like nobody's talking about climate change. Not true. We talk about it here all the time. People talk about it everywhere. Like I feel like it is a very much so discuss phenomenon i'm just asking you when's the last time you saw a story that was like oh good news on the climate change front no every story is terrible and every time it's like actually this is coming a little faster than we thought and something i had never considered was like we talked about the dinosaurs was here then whatever happened in the dinosaurs was gone right there was some there, there was dinosaurs they unfortunately they didn't have cameras they couldn't write they weren't able to document what was going on so we could find out what it's like when all y'all is gone right it's going to be people on this earth when this whole thing catch on fire and it's gone. Can you imagine what it's like? Like once you totally realize there is no hope, it is a wrap on all of this. It's too hot for you to go to work. It's too hot for you to do anything productive, but not so hot that you die. You're just here sweating all the time. Nothing to do. Computers can't stay right. You know what I'm saying? Because it's too hot for you to do all these things. There's going to be people here looking on their TikToks or whatever it is, watching the world burn. That's really going to happen. Bo, have you seen Don't Look Up? Yes, I have. Because you, you pretty much just gave him the plot away. Yes. Yeah, no, nah, <laughs> see, Don't Look Up, you know, um, the director of it happens to be like kind of sort of my boss on the game theory thing, right? So I checked that out. And it was interesting that, like, I thought it was very good. I mean, apparent bias notwithstanding, but I thought it was very good. And I thought it was very good just largely because the premise of the idea that like, yo, it's right here. It's happening. It's happening. We're like, yo, we could talk about something else. The problem is talk about it on the news. Like, I don't know exactly how you fix it. You know what I mean? Like, like, like for regular people, we can try to recycle. We can do all this stuff or whatever it is. But man, we can't get people to, like, to take it to the streets for stuff that affects them right now. Let alone their grandchildren. What they talking about? All right, Bo, this next story comes from the world of geopolitics. Hi, I'm Trip Mickle, technology reporter for the New York Times. For years, Apple has released its iPhone like clockwork every fall with little issues. But this year's rollout has been much rockier than usual. Why? Chalk it up to China. China has long been the backbone of Apple's business. It's where it makes all of its iPhones. But... The tensions between the U.S. and China and then government policies in both places have been really a challenge to Apple and turned what was once a strength into a liability. Example number one is in China, Apple continues to be challenged by the COVID zero policies there. And its biggest factory in Zhangzhou for iPhones has been shut down lately because of a COVID outbreak. Um, in the midst of that shutdown, production had to stop, and Apple had to tell all of its investors and customers that it's not going to be able to make enough iPhones to meet supply during the Christmas holiday season. The other headache that the company had has been in Washington, where lawmakers are concerned that Apple's putting more Chinese products into the iPhone. One of those things that they grew concerned about was a report that Apple was going to use memory chips from a Chinese supplier named YMTC. 
some lawmakers were troubled by that because YMTC had some potential ties to the Chinese military. And they pushed the Commerce Department to pass some rules to prevent the deal. Commerce Department ultimately penalized YMTC, telling American companies that it couldn't sell machinery to YMTC. And as a result, Apple's probably not going to go through with that deal. All of this is just uh, you know, a way of explaining what's going on in a world that's changed radically. I mean, Apple is this great symbol of globalization, and it's, it became the world's most valuable company in part because it tapped China so well. But now it's struggling in kind of minor ways as globalization kind of comes to, an, to a halt and protectionism is on the rise. Hey, man, I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with the uh, Chinese-U.S. microchip war that's been going on. It's a thing. Google it. I can't really fully explain it, but I tell you to look it up. It's been going. It's been fierce. Um, And this is one of those things that matters because everything we use has microchips in it. Right. Again, things that we just don't think about, but that really, really matter. But you go to like your local business page and that comes up. All right. But it is interesting. The thing about hinging so much of the American economy on China is like China kind of new to this. Like this, this widespread level of capitalism and industrialization that, you know, we're talking about. It's not like they've been doing this forever. You know, like we're not that far removed from the Mao Zedong era of China. And, you know, all the changes that came subsequent to this, like what China's got going for it is, you may have heard, it's a billion of them. Right. It's a lot of people, a lot of people for you to sell stuff to a lot of people uh, to make stuff, all of those things. Right. It looks really attractive just on its face. But they people. Right. <laughs> they get some stuff right. They get some stuff wrong. I mean, all of those things. And uh, political scientists and political economists on this side of the world will tell you that they believe that democracy and levels of freedom are conducive to economic performance and economic growth and those are things that the chinese don't really give you so like according to their theories that whole situation over there is always just a little bit shaky just a little bit shaky and so for apple it again though just becomes a testament to the way this corporate game works because the corporation is like addicted to growth because growth is what makes the share price go up and the share price is the only thing that the shareholders care about and that's the thing apple got something like a trillion dollars in cash they got so much money. They so rich. And you're going to hear about how they not doing good if this China thing keeps up. Nah, nah, nah. They just not doing as good as they did. But they got cheese. All right, now. Um, we had our third topic. And uh, we were not able to get something back from the author of the piece. I've already forgotten what the piece was about. But we were not able to do that. But that worked out pretty well. Because we send out the emails to the writers, if you haven't heard, early in the week so that we can have everything in from Monday and people can take weekends and all of that stuff, right? After we had sent the stuff out about the if you haven't heard, the whole world of funny money got hilarious. You guys may have seen the story about FTX, fairly major funny money exchange that went out of business and then little little dork that ran the whole thing, sent a thread, apologized, and seemed to be admitting culpability for what I would think were felonies. Um, and he'd been down there in the Bahamas, and the dude was trying to get himself to Dubai after his whole thing crashed out. And I'm like, son, 
the currency in the Bahamas last time I checked was the United States dollar. You have destabilized the United States economy. You aren't going anywhere. You are staying right here. Okay? Now, I don't have the firmest handle on what happened here. But I'm going to give those of you, because I imagine a lot of you are like, I know this funny money exchange collapsed, but you don't really know why the funny money exchange collapsed. Okay. So, FTX is the name of the exchange. And what a lot of these exchanges do is they create their own, um, their own coin, right? Their own cryptocurrency. So they create their own cryptocurrency and they want it obviously to be valuable. But the way that they entice people to use these cryptocurrencies is if you use, so theirs is called FTT. So if you use FTT on FTX on your trades that you make on FTX, use that as the, you know, as the means of currency, then you get discounts, right? Like it's that kind of thing. It almost feels like using um, your airline credit card to get miles. Like it's that kind of thing. Okay. And so what they were doing is to regulate the supply and to prop up the value of this coin, they would take 33% of their revenue every week and buy back coins, right? So there's an outstanding number. If their revenues go up, then more people get money because they buy the stuff and then they bring it back in. That had been their plan. And then, you know, they also then have these coins on their balance sheets. And when they have the coins on their balance sheets, it's value. It's money right? Okay. Well, this dude that runs FTX has another company, but most of the money on the balance sheet for that company was in this FTT coin, which is to say FTX made up some money, said the money was worth something, then took their money and gave it to another company owned by the same person, and then that company was using that funny money as collateral on loans. But it all raised the question, how much money do these people actually have because they're saying their money is actually funny money? And so the dude had been saying that he wasn't very liquid, right? Liquidity being the money, like if I, if I want to go get my money out the bank right now, liquidity is their ability to act, like what money they got on them right now. So this dude that runs one of the biggest exchanges smells something funny in the books. And he got a whole bunch of that FTT funny money. And he says, you know what? I've decided I'm going to sell all my coins. And so FTX offers him $22 per coin. That was the price. The dude at Binance, the other exchange is like, nope, that price doesn't work for me. At that point, everybody else that had FTT is like, ooh, ooh, fungus among us, fungus among us. And then they started moving all their coins. Everything must go. That man went from claiming he had $32 billion of worth to being $8 billion in the hole. Because everybody sold off their coins. Crypto.com may be experiencing a similar run. They say right now they're okay, but they might be experiencing a similar run. But all these people moved their funny money, crashed this business out, right? Because the dude didn't actually have the money. Then they found out he had been taking money out of people's accounts because they didn't actually have the money. 
And I just say again, how could you not see the flaw in money that isn't money? Money, be green. Money, feel like money. Everybody saw to come up and they went on it. And this is a sports story because FTX was the name of the arena in Miami. Um, FTX was on the logo of the umpires. Crypto.com is on the, the former Staples Center. Like, sports got in on this. Sports is part of the hustle. And I think all them people got a measure of culpability for them folks that were encouraged to put money into these exchanges that ultimately fell apart. Steph Curry, I'm not an expert. And I don't need to be. Will somebody do, Steph? I don't, I don't need to be. Maybe because you rich. These other people thought they was getting their American dream. And you see what happened, man. They money out of there. And I've been reading up on this, man. The bottom might find, fall out on this whole thing. And if the bottom of the whole industry falls out, a lot of people are going to hurt, be hurt. A lot of people are going to lose a lot of money. And that is not going to be the time to say, I told you so. That is not. So I'm going to do that shit right now i've been telling y'all i've been warning y'all it's not too late save yourself while you can i don't know if that's encouraging a bank run i'm not telling you how to do it i'm just telling you dana that's what i'm doing i'm, I'm encouraging a bank run i think so yeah okay I think I that's exactly what you're doing i'm just telling people to look out for themselves i'm just telling people to look out for number one that's it that's all i'm saying Look out for number one. I told you. I told you. Y'all trying to act like I was old. Oh, you sound like an old person. I got more money than you and I will forever. Especially if you put your in that funny money. You broke ass telling me. I'm, <laughs> I say, you don't know what you're talking about. I know money. I got three degrees in economics and people are trying to tell me. Think about that. I got a, I got economics degrees. If you, if I don't know what I'm talking about, but you do, wasn't that a sign that this was a? Just think about it. Our voicemails are brought to you by Dr Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr Pepper, the one fans deserve. Hey, this is Bomani. You have reached the right time voicemail. Say whatever you want. Get creative with it. But this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. All right, Bo, where'd you get the uh, the idea for this? Seems like a classic topic. Oh, yeah. Only but goody, man. That's the thing about it. Everybody, like, there's no way. we could. I feel like we do this every week. We have people give us three stories every week about the game cheating. And my favorite part always is the immaculate level of detail that people have. Also, shout out to those of y'all in this era who have videotaped the game cheating on y'all and sent them to me at various times on Twitter. It's appreciated. All right, here's the first one from an unnamed listener from an unknown location. So me and one of my friends played Madden all the time, and he was sorry at Madden. But he always wanted to play, was always talking trash. Now, uh, he was a Bears fan, so he always picked the Bears, and normally I would pick a team that was around their level. But on this day, he was talking entirely too much, and uh, I decided to pick my favorite team, the Patriots, to totally humble and embarrass him. And uh, it did not happen that way. We were playing on all Madden, so I'm thinking my guys should be able to cover okay. Nope. 
He ran the wide receiver screen to Devin Hester. Entire game. The whole game. Devin Hester was out there breaking tackles like Earl Campbell, and my safeties were taking angles like they failed high school geometry. And it only took one, because Devin Hester and that 100 speed were not, a get, not a, about to get caught from behind. I got embarrassed on that day. And to make matters worse, a few months later in the NFL season, the Patriots were playing the Bears. The Bears scored on a screenplay. My friend texted me right away just to let me know the real Patriots couldn't stop that play either. <laughs> Dog, there's nothing more frustrating in the video than when the game isn't really cheating. They just beating you with the same play over and over again. Like when somebody does something that, like, I had a buddy of mine, he would call whatever defense. And then he would just do every individual audible on the defensive players. Like, it was just always the craziest zone blitz. I have no idea who's coming. I have no idea who's staying. Any of it. He's not cheating, but he know he wrong. You know what I mean? Like, it felt very much like the dude on Street Fighter who just do the 100 hand slap all game. It don't feel right. You know what I'm saying? It don't, it don't, it doesn't feel proper. I feel your pain there, dude. And then it happened in real life. I feel your pain. All right, here's Cliff in Virginia. So I'm playing 2K11, and I'm going up against Chicago, you know, D. Rose. I'm only a little creative player, so I'm maxed up against Derrick Rose. First half, doing all right. I'm getting cooked here and there by D. Rose, and he's taking me to the rack. I'm taking him to the rack, doing all right, going to the half. I'm up by maybe five, six points. Not too much, but I'm feeling good. I'm doing all right. Getting to halftime, I don't know what Tibbs told them boys. But coming out in the third quarter, they played some inspired basketball. Uh, they're moving the rock all around the place, draining threes, uh, taking me to the rack. I'm getting torched by D-Rose now. Still doing the same offensively, but he's taking me to the rack over and over again. I did get a block in. But, but he's just doing damage all over the place. And next thing you know, going to the fourth quarter, I'm down 30. And I have no answers. I don't know what's going on. I'm still doing fine offensively. So game ends. I lose by almost 40 points. I take a look at the stats. I swear they ain't missed a shot. Look at the stats. And they only had one miss for the entire second half. Remember when I said I mentioned that I got a block on him? Yeah. Gang definitely cheated me. Love the show. Keep doing what you're doing. Stay good. Peace. You know, my favorite thing about these stories is everybody turned into uh, Dan Orlovsky, Jeff Van Gundy, whoever it is, when it's time to describe these games, right? Like, everybody gets into immediate post-game interview mode. It seeps into your mind and you don't realize it, right? It's about, yeah, I couldn't get the offense going. Hey, my man said, I don't know what Tim told the boys at halftime. <laughs> That is the best part. We all become actual coaches once we get these teams. Oh, man, we got one more. All right, here it is. Last one. Unknown listener, unknown location. So, ages ago, I was staying, you know, crashing on my friend's couch until I got my new place. And uh, he was going to work. I was playing video games. I think it was Madden. And... 
yeah, the game was cheating me a little bit. Thing I got down by a touchdown, I was kind of pissed off. Anyway, got mad, got picked off playing with the Lions, so inevitable. Got pissed and threw the remote. The controller went through the table. My friend had a glass table. So he gets home. He asked what happened. I'm like, man, I tripped and fell, you know, landed this kind of way. I don't think he believed it, but, hey, Q, I still owe you a glass table, bro. Dog. So, and did he say he was laid off? Yeah. Yo, you, Katie, you, you, oh, man, you broke the glass table and you ain't got no money. Woo, you'd have to go somewhere else. Like that, that that's all I know. You would have to go somewhere else. You you cannot stay here anymore. Wow. Man, this here show was all over the place. I enjoyed it greatly. Uh ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the right time. We do this three times a week. Uh, Dan Stancic and Parker Owens handling things behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Also, thank you to our If You Haven't Heard contributors. Thank you to Chloe Taylor of Fortune. Check out her story about us accelerating toward climate hell at fortune.com. Thanks to Trip Mickle of the New York Times. Check out his story about Apple and the problems they are having in China. Remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.